When I record podcasts, I like to stay hydrated. Who knew talking could be so hard? My favorite drink to have to hand is Lifeline's Hydro OG. It's a tried and tested product for me. It helped me and my team complete a 24-hour podcast, giving us the edge that we needed to get over the finish line. So whether you're at the gym, on a bike ride, or just trying to get over that night before, Lifeline's Hydro OG has got your back. Each serving is stocked with all the healthy ingredients and vitamins you could ask for. There are a great range of flavors, and with each serving at only 18 calories, you really can't go wrong. Here at the Shrewsbury Biscuit Podcast, we like to support local, independent companies and brands, and Lifelines is a product that I am proud to endorse. Go to lifelines.com. Now that's L-Y-F-E-L-I-N-E-Z.com to find out more. Now, without further ado, here is today's episode. Hello, guys, and welcome to Biscuit International. Um, This is, of course, part of the Shrewsbury Biscuit podcast. Now, um, don't worry, folks. um, This is going to be a limited run of a podcast we're putting together because um, usually the Shrewsbury Biscuit podcast sticks to in and around Shropshire. Um, But um, for for many years, me and my co-host in Vermont, Tom Bruno, we run um, podcasts that were designed to speak to people from either side of the Atlantic um and we don't do that anymore and i miss him very much and i miss doing that um so i decided to get in touch with our good friends at tv guest over in america the logo's there the, at the top of the screen there um please by all means go to tv tv guest pert guest and check out what they do because they gave they give authors and people that want to get in touch with the media the opportunity do so um so thank you so much and we had some amazing conversations that are still alive on the USUK podcast network by the way us us uk um and we spoke to amazing people like kevin bailey dr joanna dodd massey uh, dr selena nadelman peter bedard and christy whitman just to name a few we've had some amazing amazing guests for them from them so thank you so much for, for organizing this a special shout out as well actually goes to laura olson who's the booking expert there at TV guestbook who's put this together very quickly. I was like, oh, I want to do like six episodes, and she filled up five of them. So <laughs> thank you so much, Laura. You're an absolute star. Today's guest um, comes to us from uh, New Jersey. Is that right? That's correct. And it's Larry Carlson. Um, by the way, Larry Carlson is just an amazing name. To st- it's a really strong name. <laughs> thank you so much for <laughs> joining us on the show. Well, good. I'm glad uh, to be here, and thanks for the invitation. That's ah, wonderful. Really wonderful to speak to you. Um, I think the best way, to, uh, what I usually do, um, is I find out a little bit about you, Larry. Um, so is, do you do you hail from New Jersey originally? Are you, is that where you were born and raised? No, I, I grew up in Boston. And um, then I, after I got out of college, I lived in, in Boston for 12 years. We moved to South Florida for a few years. And then I spent 20 years in um, Chicago. And for the last wow. 11, I've been here in New Jersey. So uh, all the time in not-for-profit senior living um, management. Is that something that when you when you were you know, in college, when you were growing up, you, you always wanted to, to work in? Well, I, no, I mean, I got a degree in business. And uh, mm-hmm. so when I got out with my business degree, I was sort of qualified to do nothing, right? <laughs> and, <laughs> and so healthcare was, was an interest of mine and uh, – so I went went into senior living at that point. Wonderful. There's, there must be a lot a lot of rewards and challenges that I met with that, that field of work, yeah, of course. Absolutely. And uh, certainly the, the world of senior living has changed considerably in the last 45 years. <laughs> yes, of course. I mean, I've got when friends I got that, my um, first, When I got my first job, the staff called me the boy administrator because I was 23. <laughs> and now I just turned 70 and I'm like everybody's grandfather, right? <laughs> there is no way you're 70. You don't look 70 at all. No way. 
What, yeah, vi- what vit? I was only said vitamins then. <laughs> what, vitamins yeah, right. <laughs> what vitamins are you taking? You look really good. You look really good for oh, some. Thank days. you so much. <laughs> um, I'm only I'm only 21 myself. I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, to, to go from that though, the, the the boy administrator, you know, in quotations, to, to where you are today. Yeah. Um, it must feel good to have all that experience behind you. But I, I you know, it must have been a must have been an adventure for you over those years. It's, it's been a journey, and uh, you know, I've I've worked for a number of um, not-for-profit uh, senior living organizations, and uh, you know, the common thread between all of them is that uh, there are so many committed, dedicated people who work in this industry, and they they come to work each day with a passion and a purpose because they know that they're making a difference in somebody's life. Yeah, I, I get the feeling that with non-for-profit, you you have that more more of a desire, more compassion to help people. It's not just your your day to day, and and you know you, you're there because you have a passion for helping people. That makes a lot an awful lot of sense. Yep. And and a lot of people, uh, you know, like I said, they come to work with a as a personal ministry, an expression of who they are because they want to make a difference in someone's life. And so, uh, irrespective of where I've lived and worked, that that seems to have been a common thread. And you say that, uh, you know, cares, uh, whether it comes to uh, sort of mental health, elderly care, there are certain things that have changed over the years. Um, some for better. I would, would you say mostly for better or mostly for worse? I mean, obviously there were some amazing changes been made, but. No, I, I think that the industry as a whole has developed considerably since you know, the mid 1970s when I first went into this. Um, uh, this yeah. just, it's a much more sophisticated uh, world and, and and world we operate in. And I think that uh, we've made great strides in delivering uh, much better care and much more person-centered care. Um, but it is such a, a, a massive industry, I guess. Is industry the right, the right word? Yeah, because, sure. um, you know, speaking for someone over here in, in the UK, um, I'm living in quite a, a newly built-up area. And um, this is a brand new housing estate, um, and they've just they've just finished building a care home this side, and and one the other side of the road. There's there's lots going on at the moment because there seems to be a high demand for for elderly care homes, um, and this this seems to be an upward trend. There just seems to be more and more needed uh, to help. Is that because we recognise more of what is needed? I mean, I read a lot about your bio, and your and the way you say it is like we don't need. Just you know the what, what the, the consensus I'm getting is we shouldn't be cramming so many people into such a small space. We need to spread out a little bit more and offer a bit more of a, a care ratio. Is that correct? Yeah. Well, I mean, I think if you go back, you know, 50 years, the care model, especially in senior living, was modeled after the hospital model, and so yeah. um, you know, two people to a room, or sometimes four people to a room, and uh, you know, the nurses and everything was very institutional, and I think. As we've you know moved over the decades, it's been a movement toward more normalizing life for people who are are in, are in their aged years, and to make things more home like and person directed, so that it that as I say, when people used to move into my building, nothing should change in their life except their address when they move into one of our buildings. And what that means is that we need to adjust the rhythm of the institution to meet the the needs of that individual person. Versus 50 years ago, when you moved into an institution, you had to adjust your life to the rhythm of the institution because that was the efficient way to do it. That's the way, you know, hospitals typically run. Yeah. And so I mean, that's been that's been the big paradigm shift. And then as as you go into sort of, you know, dementia, which is which is, you know, what I've written my book about. Um, it's really about normalizing life for people who have a dementia diagnosis and not just the person who has the diagnosis but for their families and their caregivers. Uh, and many apologies. I haven't had time to read your book, Larry. We, we organized this like two weeks ago. Um, and we've got like a very concentrated um, uh, interview schedule over the next two weeks. But what is the name of your book and where, where can people find it? I'm sure people yeah. over here in the UK. Yeah, it's, called, uh, uh, it's called Avondale, uh, Reimagining the Dementia Experience. And it really was, you know, after 40 years in the senior living industry, I came to the conclusion that there's a better way to provide a dignified and meaningful life for those individuals who have a dementia or di- Alzheimer's diagnosis. And that was really about the journey when I was the CEO of United Methodist Communities here in New Jersey, that we went on to take 
our, our dementia programming and, and take it to the next level uh, of uh, person-directed care. And then my wife and I went to Amsterdam uh, in 2017 and we visited uh, De Hoikave, uh, which is the first dementia village in the world. And um, I really captured my uh, interest and passion. I said, you know, we need to bring this back to the U.S. No, no one is doing this. Um, and uh, so it's, so the book is about the journey of, of UMC, United Methodist Communities, uh, on developing our own internal programs for the, for the dementia uh, residences we currently operate in New Jersey, uh, to what was the next step was really in, in developing that dementia village. So that, that's what the book is about. And um, uh, Brownie points, year 10 points, by the way, Louise Patterson, who uh, I put a Facebook post of mentioning that I was speaking to you and asking if anybody had any questions. And Louise Patterson put, apparently there's a there's a village like this in the Netherlands. I think it's a, an essential care home for people with dementia and they do really well there. So well done, yeah. Louise. You knew that. Um, <laughs> um, sounds like groundbreaking stuff, though. It like is groundbreaking stuff because, you know, typically, uh, at least in the U.S., um, you know, a, a dementia residence has probably 20 to 40 people living in it. And let's face it, it's not normal to live with 20 or 40 people, right? No. You know, we no. usually live in a family scale of six or seven people. Um, yeah. And so that's so, and that's what Dehoikave did. And that's what we're going to do um, at, at Avondale. We're going to have 15 houses of seven residents each. Everybody will have their own bedroom. And there's a living room, dining room, kitchen, den, laundry facilities. And uh, the rhythm of the day will be with however those residents choose to uh, to live. And we, we want to group people together who have like values and, and, and uh, interests. So there might be an art house. It might be a music house. It might be, a you know, some house people who really like to, you know, watch sports or something. But then, you know, the day is going to be normalized because there's going to be a grocery store. There's going to be a bistro. And uh, so, you know, what do we do? We go to the grocery, we, we buy, we say, what do we want for lunch? Let's go to the grocery and pick up some supplies. Let's come back and let's together make it. Uh, on the way, we'll stop at the barn and see the animals, see what the sheep and the goats are doing. Or, or somebody can just uh, sit in the butterfly garden and feel the sun on their face. Because guess what? It's normal to experience the weather, right? Yeah. And in most institutions, you're, it's behind a locked door. And, uh, you know, you, you don't get out. And, and the, the typical answer is you can't do this, you can't do that, no, no, this, no, that. Our goal is to say, how do we say yes to as, as much as possible? So if somebody wants to go outside, we'll say, sure, it's cold outside. Okay, let's put your coat on and you can go out. Because the, 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 the 15 houses are sort of built in a circular kind of a thing. Uh, way. And so the, I, I'll call it the whole of the donut is a secure environment. So they can... Uh, wander around and um, explore and, and experience all that the, the inner courtyard has has to offer. And, you know, go to the grocery store and and come come home again. Because I guess there's a lot of a lot of that routine is it, something that's ingrained into a lot of people that have done that mm -hmm. over the decades, you know. Right. These these are still the amazing people that they were, you know. Yeah. Yep. 20 30 40 years ago that it's in there somewhere and yep. i guess with with doing all these exercises and making sure that you know these 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 routines still live up it, it might recapture something maybe i mean that, that sounds like the idea absolutely because you know long-term memory is stays a lot more intact than short-term memory so um you know e even when you even when you sit down for the holidays with someone who has a dementia diagnosis you, you could have a family karaoke party and, and uh, you know, sing some Christmas carols. And in many cases, they're going to remember the, the lyrics of the song and, and join in, even though they may not remember what they had for breakfast. I think I remember seeing a news report on this, on this place uh, a while ago, actually. Um, and there was a, and um, I remember seeing the shops and things and, you know, it does, it, do, it really encourages uh, these, these residents to, to come out of their shell a little bit more, you know. And I also remember seeing, I, I don't know if it was, I think it was a separate um, uh, a news report about a gentleman who had Alzheimer's and they sat him in front of a piano. And, you know, he was almost, he was, he was definitely um, uh, nonverbal, 
Um, and he, he his mobility wasn't great, and they sat him in front of a piano, and he just started playing the most beautiful music, and he just started shaking his head, and he started really coming to life, and mm-hmm. you could see the soul and everything come back, you know, the music, um, which is, again, it's just that routine. It's just that, that thing that he knows and he loves and he has passion for. It was one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Music is definitely a, a, a connection uh, for people who have uh, memory issues. Um, yes. because they can, they can remember those things. Um, I want to give a shout out to the guys at Shropshire floats as well. They, they, um, I had a day there once where it's a sensory deprivation tanks, uh, giant eggs. You sit in, you float in and plays nice music and stuff, but they also have a sun lounge. And it was, it's one of the weirdest because it, it was a dreary, I'm pretty sure it was like October or November. It was just a dreary rainy day. And we went to, we went there and they, they introduced me to their the the sunroom and they've got like a beach set up in a room inside the house and they had the the uh, the sun lamps and they had uh, sun loungers and a, a a great like view of a beach that you could sit and look at and you can you can just lie there and absorb these the the, the sun inside this house um you know you, you're saying like some there, there are play, the ways you can sort of help people um is that an idea you've ever thought of Bring in so, the beach I mean, you know, our, our idea is really to, as I said, normalize, normalize life. And so, yeah. you know, we, our environment is going to be so they can go outside and feel the sun on their face and yeah. sit on okay. the butterfly. You guys but, in America, you get nice sun over there. <laughs> well, I mean, even if you go to the to Amsterdam at De Hoikave, um, mm. you know, it snows in in, uh, in the Netherlands. And uh, yeah, I suppose. Their residents go outside and, and they they go to the their bistro, their grocery store, their their theater. Um, yeah, because okay. that's just because that's normal. It is. Yeah, it feels right. It feels right. I love everything about what you're saying and finding the right people for the right job. I mean, how has that been? Because um, mm. you know, you're saying uh, it's a non for profit organization, which is which is fantastic. Like I said, it brings the right people in. But mm-hmm. do you need to find people with a little bit more compassion and a little bit more understanding to understand this isn't just a normal nursing home? No, Actually, it's no- not. But you know what's really interesting, Alex, is that the 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 staff that we have working in our um, dementia program, which, which by the way, we call tapestries. Okay. Um, there are certain people who are really drawn to that and there are other people who really don't want anything to do with it. And so they sort of self-select because uh, there's just some people who resonate um, with wanting to do that. And, and I think that, you know, sort of the proof in the pudding is that out of all the product lines that we run within our senior living organization, uh, the, the place that has the least amount of turnover are the are our employees who work in uh, our dementia unit. There's like okay. I said, there's just a calling, they, and they make such deep relationships with these residents that they just feel a personal connection with them. They don't want to leave. Yeah, and that's nice for the, the residents as well. Uh, do, do you call them residents over there? Is that, is that we call them residents? Yeah. You know, you know, and one of the things that we've really tried to do is to, in our person-directed care uh, paradigm is to really get behind the distress that is causing someone with dementia to, you know, be um, stressed out and, and uncomfortable and, and possibly, you know, act out. So, and I can give you a, a quick example. It's, it's um, you know, we, we had a resident who at, at, after dinner, he would um, start to uh, act out because he... Um, because they, they call it sundowning. And uh, so, but our res- <laughs> our staff knew that resident well enough that uh, in his uh, previous, uh, before he got, got there, he was a uh, hotel security guard. And at the end of the, his shift, he would walk around the building and check the doors and check the windows and make sure everything was all right. And then he would leave for the night. And so knowing this, the staff said, let's take him around um, the, the, the place here and, and have him check the doors, windows and doors. And, um, guess what? The behaviors stopped because he was comfortable that he was in a safe environment. He could go to bed. Wow. Um, and, and another one was we had a, uh, a, a, a he was the happened to be the fire chief and um, he was living there. And every night, you know, he was he was a kind of a person who really wanted wanted to take care of everybody. And so a, after dinner, he would tell the, the uh, wait staff in the dining room, um, I'll take the bill because I want to take care of it for everybody tonight. And of course, the staff responses well you know mr jones i mean this is your home you don't 
you know, you don't have to pay for dinner. It's all taken care of. And he would get very agitated. And so, uh, so they sort of put their heads together and said, you know, what, what's going on here? And they went to their fa- his family and they said, um, could we have a defunct credit card with his name on it? And so, you know, they gave it to him. And so that at dinner, when he said, I want to take care of the bill, they said, oh, okay, let me have your credit card. And so he handed in the credit card and, you know, made like he was paying for everybody. And then guess what? His, his agitation stopped. And wow. so, you know, a lot of times uh, what in, in past days, what the industry has done is they would treat those behaviors with either behavior modification or drugs to, you know, mask the symptoms. And what our notion is to get behind what's driving the stress in somebody's life and try to figure out how we can de-escalate that. And and so many times the behavior goes away. And those two examples sound pretty simplistic, but if the staff don't know the residents well enough, they they would never be able to put, you know, connect the dots and make that happen. It's not you can't just simply reprogram people, can't you? Can you? And that's no. that's a stubborn stubbornness and the strength coming through, which yeah. is a good show of character, I suppose. If you're if you're a fire chief and you're you're full of pride and you you know what you you've been there, you know what I mean. You're not gonna you're not gonna be submissive all of a sudden, are you? And that, right. uh, that the fact that you guys have understood that is is is, is really cool. Yeah. yeah. Right. So it's a, it's a real testament to our staff and the connection they have with the people that they're caring for. Yeah. Yeah. Um. What are the the, the challenges? Um, of of running a, something like this as as opposed to a normal home that you you think you're going to face, um, obviously um, it's a completely different setup with different mechanics running behind it. You know, yeah. So well, for starters, it, at least in the U.S., you know, uh, our industry is very highly regulated, and so the regulations were written for an institutional model. And all of a sudden, we say we want to do this. It's a very decentralized thing with d- disconnected houses and. And, and an open space for people to, uh, you know, go out and and engage with the wider community, and and so the regulators say, you know, how how do we fit this round peg into a square hole, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I guess the place in 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 the Netherlands is 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 a great resource for you. You can look at absolutely, that and how that's worked. Are you in contact and, with them? Absolutely. Well, as I said, I visited there in 2017, and then. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been in touch with them many number of times uh, on a consulting basis as we started to write the program for Avondale and uh, they're a tremendous help. And the fact that I can, you know, obviously I've met with our state regulators here uh, to introduce this project so that by the time it, you know, would go into construction and and is ready to be licensed by the, by the department of health, that, that there's, that they're going to be um, able to license it. You know, nice. knowing what we're doing, that be, be, because you know we're, we're going to design it so that it checks off all their boxes, and so yeah. it's just been. Uh, and the fact that I can say that you know Dehoika Bay's been there since 2009 and been successful goes a long way in letting them say, well, maybe this guy isn't so crazy after all, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, is it crazy to show someone a little bit more care and a bit more compassion? It's 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 not. It's it's a beautiful thing what you're doing. Um, and do you, do you think it'll take off across America? Do you think there'll be more, more, more places like what you're building? I, well, I think that in America, that this is probably the most significant and impactful change in dementia care in the last 30 years. And mm-hmm. I think, um, once people find out about it, they're going to want to come a to live in it and B to find out how to do it. And I know that UMC is uh, setting it up that, it's not so special that it can't be copied. In fact, they they want to help people copy it. So, I, I mean, I think it's going to change the way the next generation of people with the dementia are cared for. And I think these things are going to be popping up all over. Um, mm. And, you know, just if you just look at the Hoikave's model, you know, because of that one, I, there's one in British Columbia. There's one in France. There's one in Italy. There's one in Australia. Um, you know, I, I think it's a it's a, a paradigm that is uh, come up, come up. Uh, come of its time, come of its age, and mm. I think people are going to latch onto it and, and want to replicate it. I'll try to look for something here in the UK. Um, you know, listeners, if you're listening to this and you know something, please correct me. But I was having a good look on the old Google today, and I couldn't find anything. So 
I don't know if there is anything like like this in the UK. So it sounds like something that uh, we could all get on board with because you know you you're right. You know these 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 residents aren't just cogs in a machine. They're not just there to sit there and play chess if they've been forced to play chess or or eat the pudding if they don't want to eat the pudding. You know, you can't just put them in a in, in a room. I read the bio and you said you shouldn't just be wheeling residents into a quiet room. Like that's not how we do. You know, interaction is really really important for anybody. You know. Um, I mean, because you want people to be engaged. Yeah, of course. You, and you want people to connect with things that brought meaning to their life 10, 20, 40, 30, 40 years ago. And yeah. just because they have Alzheimer's doesn't mean those things aren't there. I mean, th those are ways that we can, you know, connect with them. And so um, that's why when our staff know them so well, they can come up with these uh, ways to um minimize the distress and manage those behaviors without having to go with drugs and, um, you know, distraction. Yeah. yeah. And Alzheimer's and dementia, um, they're, they're absolutely devastating to not just the, 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 the victims or the residents, but to the families around them and the people around them. Mm -hmm. um, we've seen time and time again how Alzheimer's is, is just devastating. Um, well, I mean, you know, there are 944,000 people in the UK who have, have uh, some form of dementia, right, today. Yes, yeah. And probably... I'm taking your word for it. I didn't look at the number. Well, yeah, okay. <laughs> and, 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 if, and if I did my math correctly, it's probably costing 52 billion pounds sterling a year to take care of them. Wow. Yeah. It's a big good number. Good old NHS. Yeah. Um, have you, do you guys have a lot of, you know, interactivity with the, the relatives as well? And so how to deal with this situation? How, how What's the best thing to do with grandpa when you come and sit with him at, at, at home? How to have a conversation? How to how to kind of get the best out of him? And how, the, the times when to back, you know, like, do you have that time with the relatives? Well, of course, yeah. I mean, we, yeah. And we, we want to have that time with the relatives. And I think you you, you do some of the strategies that you, you talked about earlier. I mean, music is a big one. And if, if that was a, if that was if that was something that brought meaning to them previously, it's probably going to continue to to be there for a while. And so, you know, you can you can come in and sit down and listen to some songs that maybe were of his time or her time. Um, and as I said, they may remember the words even even though they can't remember what they had for breakfast. Yeah, yeah, it, it's it's just one of those things that we you know. You, I think the most recent story concerning Alzheimer's is with Chris Hemsworth, of course, the actor. Yes. Um, he's found out he's he's got a high chance of, of of getting it when he's older. He's got the gene. And um, so he's decided to take a step back from acting and he wants to spend the, his best years with his family um, to find out so soon that you could be affected by it later on in life. Well, I mean, you know, he may. I mean, that's just... May. He, yeah, has, well, that's the, he, has, yeah. he has the gene. Um, yeah. But, you know... You know, having the gene um, is not a, uh, uh, a, a, a prison sentence. Um, all it is, it's, it's an indication. So it, it's no different than having, you know, seeing that you have high blood pressure. So the question is, what are you going to do about it? And I think, you know, many people who have the gene don't get it. And there are plenty of people who don't have the gene who do get it. So, you know, there's, there's, there's no guarantees there. So, you know, heart health, so things you do for heart health, are yes. good for brain health. And uh, mm -hmm. so you, if you follow those kinds of strategies, you can, uh, just like you can minimize heart disease, um, you can minimize the likelihood that you're going to, you know, have Alzheimer's as well. That's really handy to know. And, you know, you, we talk, you talked earlier at the beginning of the podcast about how, you know, certain treatments and, and, and you know, certainly the industry has changed over the last 20 years or so. Um, do, are we understanding more about dementia and Alzheimer's that helps prolong treatment and keep people i don't want to use words that uh, offend people but um more there more themselves for a little bit longer is, it, is there anything that's been put in place so you know there was just a drug that was announced here just a couple of days ago uh that's supposed to uh, delay the onset of dementia uh now you know it's it's just out of clinical trials it's, it remains to be seen whether it's going to uh, you know how it's going to take off and it's really and a couple of these Alzheimer's drugs that are out there are really only for the early stage. 
Uh, but if you can delay the, on, the, delay the onset of the progression of the disease, um, that's obviously huge news and um, a way of understanding what's going on and, what, and what's driving that dementia diagnosis. I um, I had a question from uh, my good friend Rocky Huber, who's in uh, New Hampshire, America. Um, I don't know if he's poking fun, but um, I'm going to ask it anyway, only simply because I think it's probably worth mentioning it. Um, <laughs> things are changing in America, and there's certain things that are seemed a bit more accessible and acceptable nowadays. Uh, and of course, he's mentioned cannabis. He said he's cannabis allowed. Now, I think I'm going to round that up to like the things that. Um, are comfortable for the the patient or the, the resident the cheeky odd beer now and again or to partake if it's legal and it's what they're used to in that sort of recreational use of mm -hmm. cannabis i don't know is that is that something that you guys have looked at i mean how does that work with you guys because it's kind of legal in a lot of places in america now. well i mean you know new jersey just legalized it in the last year or so um yeah. and i i would say that our philosophy probably will be that if they liked it before we wouldn't withhold it now, but yeah. we're not going to say, Oh, everybody needs to get high. At, at no, 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 of course not. No, no. <laughs> uh, but, but thank you, Rocky, for that question. And I think, you know, even, uh, even I think, I, I, I think it's half being serious. Uh, the way he worded it was quite funny as well. He put, uh, can you, can you ask them if there'll be cannabis on his old people Island? <laughs> That's typical Rocky. Thank you. If, Rocky. if Rocky smokes it now, he'll he can smoke it then in all likelihood. Um and you know, uh things are constantly changing with the world at the moment, and um nothing changes quicker and faster than technology. Of course, technology is con constantly keeping yeah. us on our toes, keeps me on my toes. There's a new app or a new site or a new thing to use every single year. Um have you guys uh found in, you know advancements in technology? Um, to help you guys move so, forward? Yeah, just, you know, one of the cool things that's going to happen at Avondale is that our lobby is not going to be like a sofa and a chair. We're actually building a smart house in our lobby. Wow, that sounds amazing. And it's going to be sort of a marriage between, yeah, an Apple Genius Bar kind of a place where people can come in and we're going to showcase the latest senior, the technology that the seniors can use, especially around managing dementia. So, um so it'll be like, like I said, the Apple Genius Bar. You can come in, you can touch, you can feel it, you can try it. And um, I think it, it'll be a, a great resource for the wider community, especially for those people who are caring for someone at home um, who may be in the early stages of, of the Alzheimer's. Uh, so, you know, things that would help with uh, engagement um, as well as safety. And so, yeah. as I said, we're, we're going to have this uh, smart house that they can come in and, and see the kinds of things that might be in someone's kitchen to help them, you know, function better or in, in their bedroom or living room. Um, I, I think it's going to be pretty cool. That's a, That sounds really good because, you know, when you think of um, smart technology, it's not just TVs and, and tablets and things. You can have like smart lights now and you can have smart mm -hmm. switches to switch things on. and Smart you know, thermostats. In one, yeah. in one of our senior living, we, we put smart thermostats in so people just say, you know, Alexa, turn the temperature down to 68 degrees. Yeah, yeah. That would uh, that would absolutely cause, cause chaos. I probably should have said that in Celsius, should I? Not Fahrenheit. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. That would cause a nightmare in my job. You'll have to do the uh, conversion for me. <laughs> me and uh, me and my my American cohort, uh, we we have these arguments all the time. I'll be like, uh, they'll be like, can I have it in English, please? I'm like, no. Can you have it in the rest of the world? That's I think that's what you're trying to say. <laughs> you're so right, Alex. <laughs> you're like, oh my god, it's like a hundred outside. I was like, no, hundred's boiling, darling. Uh, <laughs> that literally boiling water. Um, <laughs> um, so. Is this, is this is this place open or is this something that you're building at the moment? I mean, I, I no, it, it's it's under development. Um, yeah. So you know, we've written the program. Yeah. Um, our architects uh, Perkins Eastman, who is a, actually a multinational architectural firm, uh, has designed it with us, and so it's all ready to go into construction documents. Um, you know, we're we have regulatory hurdles we have to achieve before we can uh, you know move the project forward. So. It probably won't be built for a, a, a few more years, uh, but it's sort of ready to go. I mean, it's it's programmed, it's designed. We have land, so uh, it you know we just need to put all the pieces together. Um, what is it? I mean, obviously um, there'd be people mostly listening to this audio, 
Um, we haven't got any pictures, but can you describe to my my, my listeners kind of what it's going to look like? I mean, what we what what, what are we talking about? Sorry. Yeah. So th- there are uh, fifteen single family homes, one story. Um, each house has seven bedrooms, living room, dining room, kitchen, laundry den, front porch, back porch. And it's all sort of gathered in a sort of a circular kind of an environment. And then each house is sort of uh, connected through a breezeway so that we can make the, the inside, as I call it, the hole of the donut, a secure environment where people can wander around and explore and not get into, um, you know, can't get lost, can't get, can't get away. There's only mm-hmm. one way in and one way out. And that's through the front door of our community center. And in the community center, we're going to have, as I said, we're going to have our tech bar in the lobby. We're going to have a neurocognitive clinic where people can come and have an immersion experience and talk to um, clinical folks. Um, and then we'll, there'll be a multi-purpose room, a bistro, the grocery sh- shop, and then our community building will have a, a health spa, um, you know, beauty shop and club rooms. And so, uh, as I said, you know, keeping life normal on, on the in the campus so that people can, can leave the house and go to the barn and see what's, see what the goats are doing, pick up, go to the grocery, pick up some the things they need for lunch, come home and uh, as best they can or want to can uh, participate in the, the daily rhythm. And so there's, there's no set routine. If you want to get up at six o'clock and read the newspaper with a cup of coffee, that's what you'll do. If you want to stay up until 2, 2 a.m., um, and sleep in until 10, that's okay too, because there are only seven people in that house. And so it's it's really normalizing life for you. And so it, you know, it's a tall order because it's a lot easier if everybody has to adjust to the rhythm of the institution. But when we have to adjust the rhythm of the institution to each individual, you know, there could be 105 people living on this campus. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I guess the testimonials um, from you guys at United Methodist communities is it helps that you guys have done a great job over the years doing what you've already done you know yeah well i mean umc has been in existence for 115 years so they've been around a while and and uh yeah right now uh you know they operate nine communities here in new jersey uh and we sort of cover the the gamut from independent living to assisted living memory support skilled nursing uh, uh senior housing and home care. So it, it sort of covers the, all of the kinds of services that seniors need. And it's amazing. Uh, yeah. It's, it's, it's well, a place- reputation. And I was very proud to be the CEO there for 11 years. And, um, oh, yeah, nice. From the, uh, the, the, the 23 year old, um, admin clerk, whatever they call right. you. <laughs> the boy, the boy administrator. The boy administrator. <laughs> well, I mean, my staff were all, you know, 40s and 50s years old. And I was 23 and, and I probably did look 12. <laughs> all right governor how's it going um i'd love to see it when it's finished i definitely i'm, I'm definitely uh i want to get my eyes open for, for you and the, the, the develops going forward i think it sounds great and um obviously this is a lot to take on on your on your own um do you have a team around you that's that's working on different aspects of of, of making sure this becomes a reality well i mean yeah there's a whole development team um yeah. you know we, we have you know our our the uh our dementia specialist. I mean, she's obviously been very involved in, in creating the program. Um, you know, she, she, she wrote our curriculum. She got it certified by the Alzheimer's Association. Um, obviously, uh, Perkins Eastman, our architects, a very well-known um, multinational uh, company who, who builds all kinds of beautiful buildings around the world. And I've known the principal, Brad Perkins, uh, since my South Florida days in the 1980s. And so he's become a great friend and uh, I know she really showed me, uh, you know, how, how to really make the environment, the, the built environment work toward the betterment of, of all the seniors that we serve. It's, it's a, it's a huge undertaking a job like this. I'm, I'm, you need to make sure you've got the right people. And it sounds like over your, over the years of experience, you've already got that with, <laughs> with these architects that you'd known for yep. such a long time. Um, is there anything that you guys are looking for that you haven't been able to get yet that you might need a bit of help maybe from people to get a bit of funding maybe or a bit of equipment that you're looking for? I mean, how does yeah, that work? Well, you're, you're- yeah, I mean, obviously, um, you know, funding is, is going to be critical and and uh, eventually, you know, we'll have to be, you know, taking out some uh, 
some financing for it. So obviously that's another project that has to get done mm -hmm. down the road. Um, and, mm -hmm. uh, you know, the, our, our challenge has been, we don't want to create something that's so unique and so expensive that, you know, the typical senior organization around the world can't do it. Um, and so, uh, that's, that's really been a challenge just to, uh, to figure this out. And so we, we, we think we have, um, and, uh, you know, th thankful to, uh, our friends in, uh, Amsterdam for, uh, you know, giving, giving us some very good insight as to, you know, how this might work. But of course, yes. the, you know, the big difference between UK and, and Amsterdam and US is that, uh, you know, in, in, in Amsterdam, they have socialized medicine. And so, um, yeah. everybody, you know, who qualifies, sort of lines up wanting to move in where in the u.s it's all private pay and um i don't so know if that complicates be... things though because like well, here, here in the uk i don't know if it complicates things because here in the uk yes we do have the nhs and you have nursing homes that maybe are unit uh, nhs care homes but i guess you can go private too whereas in america you're kind of all on the same sort of level you know you, it's there mm -hmm. you can have it if you if you're um... yeah you can have it if you can pay for it now what we've yeah. done is we we we're reserving ten percent of our our rooms for uh, people who can't afford it and nice. um, so and and of course that's been a challenge for the financial model too because it's you know ten percent of the rooms that aren't going to be compensated like they are for the rest of them and you know it, yeah. at the end of the day it takes X dollars to 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 run the place so. Of course, of course, and, and that, that's similar to what they do with the dentists over here. Um, obviously, I think all dentists are, are private, but they have NHS spaces, and you can apply for an an NHS spot. But if you uh, if you take the Mickey and you don't turn up for your advice, they'll they'll strike you off and you, they'll give your space to somebody else. You know that's kind of how they do it. Yeah, um, yeah. So you got to get those NHS spots in the dentist if you you got to be quick. <laughs> um, I'd like to talk about a bit about um, your relationship with TV Gesper, if you don't mind, because sure. I find I find them wonderful. Um, how did you find out about Gesper? Um, God, I heard I heard about them from a, a friend of mine down in Nashville, uh, Tennessee, who who you know, she had said to me uh, this is a year or so ago. She's you know you really ought to write a book about this. <laughs> I'm like really. <laughs> 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 I'm like, Okay. <laughs> and she said, you know, I've got this great, um, you know, friend um, over at TV Gespert, uh, Jackie Jordan. And yeah, um, Jackie. <laughs> yeah, Jackie Jordan, you know, and what a great uh, connection that, that was for us. And um, yeah. it's been a wonderful journey. I mean, I mean who, whoever thought I would write a book, right? C certainly my high school English teacher never would have predicted it, right? But um <laughs> So, uh, but, you know, but, but Jackie's been such a great resource for me um, as we've gone through this journey of, of writing the book. And then, you know, et even editing the book was, was it a, was a real experience um, just yeah. to sort of, you know, get it to the way we really wanted to, to, to be. And then she said, you know, now we've got to get you on some podcasts and, and some, you know, do some videos. And I'm like, really? I'm like, okay. I'm dance monkey sure. dance. <laughs> right. Yeah. And so like, so here I am talking to, to Alex in the UK today. And, yeah, absolutely. And it's, it's fantastic. In my new show that I've tried and tested yet. Is this, this is going to be, like, <laughs> this is going to be a yeah. throw, a throw in the water. Is this, is this going to work? I don't know, but we'll, uh, we'll let the the viewers and the listeners decide. And uh, well, I'm very glad for, for, for Jackie. She's, uh, yeah, she's too. amazing. She's and a gem. The, the way I met Jackie was, um, was was really nice so people that are listening to this in shrewsbury you may know the name bibs cameron uh bibs and and bill billy from philly what the great um amazing people they are um so um bibs runs the um the um the <laughs> civic society oh my god this happened to me last night right um i was i was at netley hall I'll explain this and I'll go back into what I was saying. I was at Netley Hall, which is a great stately house. I know the chef. They've opened up the Clock Tower restaurant, which is amazing. Go and um, get some food from there because they are brilliant what they do. And we set up a podcast studio in front of a, a nice roaring fire. It was beautiful, right? Yeah. And I got introduced to the owner twice. Um, so I knew his name, Harrison. I remembered it now. See, Harrison. And we sat down in front of the, this fire. We were, I hit record. And do you know that moment when you realize it's really too hot and you kind of panic and you get that cold, like tingly 
bing on the back of your neck. That happened to me, and I forgot his name completely as we as I hit record. And I was, I'm with the owner. Uh, what's your name again? It's like I keep having these trigger moments where I keep forgetting. I hate names. that. It's nuts, hate, isn't it? I hate Absolutely when that happens, nuts. right? <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, Bibs from the Civic Society and, and Billy from Philly, Bill, um, and uh, Jackie's relative. And um, I meant to um, something about Charles Darwin that the Civic Society were putting on because that's where that's where Shrewsbury is where Charles Darwin was born. Um, and um, uh, he was like, "Oh, yeah, I've got a relative, Jackie, um, and uh, we should definitely get you on and do some podcasts with her." So that's how we met and. And ever since they've been just wonderful people to know. Yeah, they're they're great, great folk. Um, has it helped? Has it helped an awful lot? Have you uh, have you sold a few books? Well, we're you know we're the book is just launching. The, the Kindle version mm. is out there now at on Amazon, and uh, the paperback is coming like any day, right? Absolutely. So, yeah. So um, I I hope I you know I, I think there's an audience within the industry who will be interested yeah. to read it and. Uh, Hopefully, want to uh, learn more about it and and, and copy it, um, mm. and um, and I think somebody who has a family member with a dementia diagnosis may want to read it too because I think there's some insights in there that can help them be um, feel better as a caregiver. Dementia and Alzheimer's is a universal thing, isn't it? It affects everybody from every it corner is. of the globe. So there are, there are parts in your book that will translate perfectly, uh, whether it comes to the behaviors or the treatments or, you know, mm -hmm. maybe certain feelings of panicking and anxiety that, that relatives might get. Like, oh, my God, well, how are we going to deal with this? I, I don't know how to deal with some of it. Like, I'm sure there are all those similar feelings that everybody must feel. Um, so to have a book that can kind of. Yeah. I mean, because, you know, it's, it's, it's a journey. You know, when, when someone's in early stage, you know, a lot of families, they they, 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 their loved one may have said to them, don't ever put me in the home. I want to stay at home. Right. Um, but there becomes a crisis point where the family says, I can't do this anymore. And I think the book yeah. is going to help them navigate that crisis and, and feel okay that, you know, that they have the best and highest interests of their loved ones in, 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 um, in mind. And if there's an and if there's an environment they can go live in where they're going to have their needs met and lead a normal life, mm -hmm. I think that's going to be okay then. Yeah. And that's the point I was trying to make is that, you know, say you've got a parent that suddenly comes down with dementia and there's issues. You've got to carry on working and looking after your kids and, and making sure that your life's running. So there may be times when you, you can't be on top of them to make sure they're okay. So it's best to have, professionals or even an environment where you know they're going to be safe and not well, just I mean, that. When we, when we were first starting this process, we, we did some market research and we had some, um, uh, some folks come in and um, had some conversations with them about, you know, how they were feeling, you know, they needed to place someone and what were they feeling? And there's this overriding sense of guilt that the adult child has about putting mom or dad, um, in a uh, institution, um, yeah. either because their relationship was such that, you know, they, the parent made them promise, never put me in the home. Um, and it's, it's really, really difficult. And then we had an another group of the uh, social service providers uh, when we talked about Avondale as we were programming it. And they were like so excited that something like this could actually happen because they know yeah. what's out there and, and what the options are. So it's, it was a very interesting dynamic to see how, you know, we, we thought seven bedrooms in a house was wonderful, right? And, and the social service providers, they thought so as well. But the family family caregivers were like, they have to live with seven strangers? Mm. And they just, yeah. they, some, they just couldn't deal with that because, you know, for them, normal is one. <laughs> you know, dad lives alone in his house. Why does yeah. he have to yeah. all of a sudden live with seven strangers? Um, so it's, well, it's, it's a better than thirty-five. It's it's better than thirty-five. Yes, <laughs> but they house. see they hadn't had that experience yet. They still had their loved one at home. So yeah. you know it's it's fraught with emotion, both on the physical, intellectual, and, and emotional level, and yeah. um, that's a, a very very difficult dynamic to navigate. Especially in uh, in the world, I mean, you guys. I don't know how things were quite dire 
over here during the pandemic for for care homes. Can't get into that. For uh, <laughs> there are probably people like um, I'm switching off right now. If you go in there, Whiteley, I'm not doing that today. But um, I guess it must have been difficult for you guys as well um, during the pandemic because yeah, it um, was. But you know what's interesting? The small house environment uh, fared the best out of all yes. the senior living mo- mo- uh, paradigms that are out there. So, so if you if you have 40 people living in one place, all of a sudden someone gets you know, comes down with it. And this is not just true with, with uh, COVID. It could be any uh, infectious disease. You know, all, all of a sudden, all 40 are, are potentially exposed. But if yeah. you're living in a house of seven, you, you can sort of contain things a lot easier and it, it doesn't yeah. get out of control. And so there's a lot of small houses in the skilled nursing in the U.S. And uh, they really fared so much better than the t- typical institution in, in the U.S., so it, it's a it's it's a it's a paradigm that's it's come of come of, come of its time. Did you um, so uh, during the pandemic? I know there were so many people that made, had some really good lessons actually, and actually advanced in the way they do things. A big shout out to Shrewsbury Town and the community, uh, now known as the Shrewsbury Foundation. It's the charity that's attached to Shrewsbury Town Football Club. Amazing people. And during the pandemic, um, so they look after all people from all ages and do amazing things to keep the community happy. You know, it's wonderful. And during the pandemic, they were they were uh, sort of shipping out sort of tablets for for so they can speak on Skype or Zoom or whatever it is they do. So they can keep in touch with their loved ones and they're dropping these tablets off to people. And it's, it's one of those situations where you realize that you can offer a lot of care also from a distance. You know, you, you can still kind of almost be there. Um, did you guys learn any positives from the pandemic? Well, absolutely. So first of all, our, the and I'll say this as an in- industry generic comment, the, the um, embracement of um, technology um, came much at a much more rapid pace because of the yeah. pandemic, because we were sort of forced to. And I mean, I'll, I'll give you a simple example. So we used to have resident council meetings or, or, or a family council meeting at each of our buildings. And, you know, out of 100 residents, if we got eight families to show up, that was probably the, t- the norm. After the pandemic, we went on, you know, everybody, everything was on Zoom We'd have seventy-five families on these family uh, on on these calls every month. Nice, um, and you know that wouldn't have happened. And, yeah. and I I don't think we'll ever go back to having in person. Well, we might, we might occasionally have an in person one, but it's just so much easier for people to engage. Uh, you know, th- through the use of the technology. Yeah, of course, and you know, <laughs> now it's kind of like. Can we not just do it on Teams? Do we have to all kind of get in the same room together? Can we just do it on Teams <laughs> and StreamYard um, as well? Big, big it shout is. Out and I will say, as a CEO, I mean, I think there's a place for Teams and Zoom, but you know, it's hard. You know, when people don't come to the office, that you miss the quote unquote water cooler conversations, yeah, and and sort of the the side conversations and the relationship building. And you, you know, you can't build a relationship on Zoom, or not very very good. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. Th- there's a place for both. Um, and yeah. I think, you know, sort of hybrid work is sort of, uh, the, you know, way it's going to go in the future. But in it's senior living, <laughs> yeah, but in senior yeah. living, you know, we need the people there. I mean, you know, our staff uh, during the pandemic, they came to work every day. Yeah. Yeah, I did too. I work in I work in support. So I. Uh, in my job, I will, I'll mention to you off air what I kind of do. I don't like talking about it too much, just in case somebody's like, "Oh, Alex is on the podcast talking about work." But uh, yeah, I was I was working every single day. I worked all through the pandemic as well. Similar situations to to what you're what you're talking about. You know, um, you know, there was uh, there was a few situations that just felt so uncomfortable during the pandemic. But again, we had some great. I mean, I was just meant to, about to mention Streamyard that we're, we're recording on today. They kind of released. I think possibly before, just before the pandemic, maybe a little bit afterwards. But before to do this podcast, we'd have me and um, do you remember Google Hangouts? We used to use Google Hangouts and we'd record our conversation via a mixer or something. Um, He'd record his end, I'd record my end, we'd clap. (laughs) <laughs> and then light up the claps on the audio um whereas like Streamyard released this amazing bit of um, software where we can do this now we can have a conversation across the ocean yep. um and you know pandemics made it go 
it's a, it's a great thing. Yeah. Um, what do what is there anything that people can do to help you? Um, you know, people are listening to this. I mean, obviously, we're here in Shrewsbury in the UK. You guys are in New Jersey. Um, is there anything that um, maybe it's a follow on social media or a conversation people can have with you to learn more? Or, you know, is there anything that we can do to help you? Buy your book, of course. <laughs> yes, buy, buy my book. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I I think really to you know share stories of of what's what's going on uh, in, in their lives and um, how you know the, the care providers can best engage with those people and and help them solve their their challenges their caregiving challenges. Yeah. Because like we mentioned earlier, this is universal. People doing this all around the world in different ways. And you learn this from from the Netherlands. Do you know? It's um Absolutely. It's, it's crazy go, how the world go visit go visit the Hoikave. It's, it's a wonderful place. I'm going to I'm gonna Google it. Can I um so um I'll do it after I'll do it afterwards. I'm gonna share pictures of this place on our social media folks. So um uh, yeah, and this, you know, there's more information on unitedmethodistcommunities.org uh, yes. slash Avondale. Um, yes. So you, and you, if you want to see some pictures, you know, we have some renderings of what we think Avondale is going to look like uh, on that uh, on that uh, web page. I think I have the website here. Um, let's see if I can scratch. Where is it? I just had it. <laughs> Bristol Glen. I know. I should have had this queued up ready, shouldn't I? Again, I'll put pictures on up on our social media so you guys so can have a look. So up. the Bristol and Bristol Glen is from Bristol, England. That's ah. oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. Uh, so I, I mean, you guys are international then in the homes that you rent. So it's not just America. Well, no, no, our, our homes are all in New Jersey. But I, all I'm saying when when they named Bristol Glen. They said they wanted to name it after Bristol, England. I get you. I get you. Yep. I get you. Yep. Wonderful. Wonderful. Um, well, I think you've been amazing to speak to, Larry. Honestly, I've really yeah. enjoyed this because this, like okay. I said, this is something that affects everybody around the world. And hopefully um, the listeners have taken something from this in the fact that it's not just you. There are a lot of people out there that are dealing with situations. So there's more people to speak to. There are a lot of other opportunities to get help and to speak to people in similar situations to yourself. Um, is there any sort of helplines or any avenues people can go down to speak to people in similar situations to themselves, wherever they are, wherever they are in the world? Do you, do you know of? Well, so cer- certainly the Alzheimer's Association is, is a great resource, um, you yeah. know, in, at, a, at, a, at a very high level. Wonderful. Yeah. Wonderful. Well, Larry, again, you've been fantastic. Thank you so much to TV Guestbert for, for putting this together. Larry, please keep in touch because yeah. um, I'd love Alex, to see when thank this you so much. When this, when the, when the the project is finished, and we can look at it and stuff, I'd love yes. to, I'd love to bring you back on the show so we can speak yeah. about how how it's all launched and stuff. Uh, you know, Absolutely. this is what we do it's, on. It's, it's it's going to change the world, Alex. I'm sure it will. I'm sure it will. Um, so, guys, thank you so much for tuning into this. This is the first Biscuit International that we've released. Um, this is our opportunity to step out the SY and speak to people from um, not just uh, in America, but we've got. People from the UK as well that are just outside of Shropshire and outside of our jurisdiction, I guess you could say. Um, so this is our opportunity to speak to people and learn, more importantly, um, about what people are doing around the world. I love doing this. I miss doing it with Tom Bruno. I wish Tom Bruno could be here, but um, this is this is uh, this is a biscuit thing. So it's got to stay biscuit. But um, again, thank you so much to TV Guestbook for putting this t- together. And before I get out of here, I need to mention uh, Web Orchard, who are building us a brand new state-of-the-art website. I was just chatting with Pete today. We were talking about logos. I think he's going to get a professional to take a look at. I-, I designed this logo. It looks pretty cool. I like it, but he's like, we need to do some work on it to make it fit with the website. I was like, okay, fine. Look, get a professional to do it then for us. Um, but they are. They're fantastic. They're building us something really, really cool. Um, so if you need a website, um, wherever you are in the world, actually, just look for Web Orchard. Um, they're based in Coton Hill in Shrewsbury, but I'm pretty sure if you speak to Pete, um, he can help you out wherever you are in the world for the perfect website just for you. Um, right, we're going to get out of here. Larry, is there anything else? That, where can people follow you guys? Can you can they follow you guys on social media or anything like that? Give you some support? Yeah, well, I'm on LinkedIn. Yeah. Yep. And um, yeah, and certainly United Methodist Communities is on. They are they're social network channels as well. 
Wonderful, wonderful. Right, well, uh, Larry, stick around after the outro, and uh, I'll I'll say goodbye to you properly. But for you guys, thank you so much for tuning. We'll catch you next time. Peace out. <laughs> <laughs>